Welcome to Zero Broke Girls. I'm Jules. And I'm Joe. We started Zero Broke Girls as a way to empower women to take control of their money. We think the first step is to simply start talking about it. So that's what we're going to do. We're so grateful you've joined us for this week's episode. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode. We're so excited that you've joined us for our conversation with Ashley. Ashley is a dedicated certified financial planner or CFP. She guides her clients through their financial plan using a variety of investment vehicles and strategies best suited for their short and long-term objectives. Through informed financial advice and going beyond industry standards, Ashley provides a hands-on approach to educate her clients on their financial future. Her company, Picked Up Financial, is a financial advising firm focusing on comprehensive financial needs analysis, retirement strategies, insurance, investment, and estate planning. Today, Ashley talks through what a CFP does, how she got involved in the industry, and the importance of independent advice and transparency. She also touches on the challenges her clients face today and advice on how to get started with planning for your future. We loved listening to all the amazing things Ashley had to say, and we hope you do too. Hello, Ashley. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Hi, ladies. Thanks for inviting me. We're so happy to have you. So you work as a certified financial planner. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means and what you do? Absolutely. So as a certified financial planner or CFP, my role is to assist clients in creating their financial story. So this would include educating clients through volatilities, providing strategies that best fit their financial needs, and helping clients with a lot of those unknowns. Unknowns such as market downturns or even global pandemics that we're dealing with right now. And I see clients excel on the other side. I prepare comprehensive plans and I see my clients through many life events. So this could be something for, such as saving for their first home and using their first time home buyer plan to utilizing government grants through registered education savings plans or RESPs and sending those kids off to post-secondary I do have my CFP, so Certified in Financial Planning, which is the most widely recognized financial planning designation. And as learning and education has been such an important part of my career, it's also so important with my client's experience. So just through honest, informed, and authentic advice, I help clients reach their goals and educate them along the way. That's amazing. I love the financial education piece that's built in. And I, I really, I love the financial story, like that term financial story, because it really speaks to everyone having their own story. But also when you said financial story, I was thinking everyone has their written piece of the financial story and then the unwritten piece of the financial story. And Typically, the written part, what's happened in your financial story can definitely seep into your unwritten piece, but that's not always a good thing, right? So I think in terms of a financial planner, it might be really helpful to to write the unwritten piece that you want that's really aligned with your goals, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And it's kind of interesting because that whole piece, I think that's with financial planning or financial advising, a lot of it's the analytical side, the numbers, your rates of return. 
But really there is that bigger picture and it's not just about what the numbers are saying, but it's about those pieces that maybe you're not comfortable talking about or the challenges that you face. So my company's name is actually Picta Financial and Picta is Latin for painting. So that was the whole idea of like paint your financial future. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's, That's amazing. So, cool. so Ashley, how did you get involved in the financial services industry and why did you choose that industry? So I actually started my career in corporate Calgary after I finished my business degree And while I was working downtown, I really noticed with conversations with colleagues and friends, pretty apparent disconnect with financial understanding or education. So the need for educating individuals and families on all things finance became more and more apparent as I continued to have these conversations with people that I worked with. So this could be anything from utilizing insurance products or providing tax-efficient strategies for funding retirement income to become more, I guess, like financial free in your retirement. So while I was working corporate Calgary, my mom, who's actually a CFP or certified financial planner, had been encouraging me to just take my designations, see if I enjoy the work, and then would join her business as a mother-daughter financial advising team. So I love that. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> it's been definitely beneficial to have a financial advisor growing up, uh, which I think kind of helped with my that long-term education. So a lot of this wasn't just brand new to me. A lot of it was mm-hmm. almost just second nature. So I was already aware of the commitment and the inconsistent hours, stressful seasons certain level of drive it takes to help clients manage their finances, but I also benefited hugely from having my mom as a CFP. So just wanting to be able to give that back to people because I know not a lot of people experience that or had that um, benefit growing up. They kind of launched into their 20s and it's like, hey, sink or swim. (laughs) It's like, okay. Yes, unfortunately. (laughs) So yeah, after completing my um, designation, so my MFD, which is the investment side, and my LQP, which is the insurance side, I did leave behind corporate Calgary, and I just started working full-time with mom, and that was about seven years ago now, and I've never looked back. I just love that you're doing it with your mom. I mean, I think in this day and age, being a woman, you must be, I would assume your women are the minority in your field now. But even for your mom, when she started, I can imagine even so, even more so back then. Yes, I actually don't know the specific numbers, but I do know that it is a fairly male-dominated industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a lot of the older male generations that are in the financial industry. And do you find that you and, you and your mom attract more female clients? Um, I don't think that... I don't think we attract more female clients. Like we work a lot with couples and families. Okay. I was trying to reflect on my book right now to think if there's any specific females, but I do find that with like families and couples, a lot of times it's the wives that I work more with. And I think that there's a level of, I guess, like confidence in my ability with being mm-hmm. a female advisor. But I'm not sure if that's ever kind of been a, deciding factor but I could be wrong (laughs) 
So can you tell us a bit about the demographics of the clients that you that you serve at high level? Yeah, so my clients range from the millennials, Gen Z, all the way to 90-year-olds. I have a lot of third-generation clients, so grandparents, and then now looking after their kids, and then most recently taking on their grandkids. One family in particular, their daughter is using their RESPs, or registered retirement, or sorry, registered education saving plan for her post-secondary and now she's investing as well. So we started up a TFSA for her about a year ago. Families, like new families, a lot of uh, people that are retired or entering their retirement years. We have quite a wide range of clientele. And the reason for that was our goal at Picta Financial was to be accessible to a range of clients. And we do think that independent, honest advice should be available to every Canadian. Yeah, I completely agree. So when you speak about independent advice, like how does that differ, for example, from someone that works for a bank or something? Is there a difference when the person that you're working with is like affiliated with any kind of companies or? So actually starting my career as like an independent advisor, just with following in my mom's footsteps. So I don't have any like personal examples of this or personal experience, but I can speak to my own experience. So with independent financial advising, I don't have any obligations to sell certain products. I don't have any quotas to meet. I don't have to push people in a direction that might not be the best fit just to try to, you know, make it look good for my numbers at the end of the month. Mm -hmm. So I can just have the freedom and flexibility to really build out plans specific to each client and not feeling the pressures of meeting any sort of expectations from somebody higher up. I'm not sure if that's the same with other industries, but uh, for myself personally, it is important to remain independent just to have that flexibility for clients. Yeah. And make sure that the advice is what's right for them and not, you know, someone else's bottom line or something. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always interesting to know how people get paid right? Like if people have quotas or specific things that they are incentivized to sell, it can often overshadow some of the other things. Did that happen to you once, Joe? Like you were at a bank and then you asked them about, like they were pushing a product really hard. It was actually um, kind of beginning, beginning of the pandemic, maybe a little bit before that. But yeah, we had been asking about, um, some a, a specific investment strategy to our financial advisor and they came back with these like very specific insurance products that weren't really anything to do with what we were looking for a lot more risk than I wanted it didn't make sense to me to take out more debt to invest like it it just didn't really fit and then we kind of pushed and pushed and it turned out that it was kind of a product that they were getting incentivized to sell during that particular period in time um, where people were more anxious about downside in the markets and instability. But um, yeah, it's, it's actually happened to me a few times in my life. I think I've been through, I've been to a few different financial advisors at different points in my life. Um, But I think definitely asking any professional, whether it's financial or not, 
how they get paid and how they get compensated based on the business relationship or the transactions that you're doing with them is often very helpful because yeah yeah you know, if you don't ask you don't conversations, know yeah you should have those conversations like everyone has a job and is getting in my room, but people have a job and are getting paid. Exactly. And it is important to understand that. Do you have my best interest in mind? Mm-hmm. How are you getting paid off of this? And I say to my clients, like, ask me, I'm completely transparent. Ask me what the fees are, how it works, because, you know, you never go to a dentist and they say, okay, we're going to swipe your card for the balance that you owe what, from what was taken off of insurance. And you say, okay, great. What is that balance? You're like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's like, it's just a balance. It's like, no, no. Like, what am I paying? Like, it's a service mm-hmm. and I don't have a problem with the price unless I don't see the value. Exactly. So I don't understand why that shouldn't be like one of the first questions that clients ask, because I do think that it is important to have all of that information transparent so that you can also make the best decisions with, okay, are these products do these products make sense? Is this what is best for it for myself, my family? Um, it's so true. Questions. Yes. And I mean, I like I work in sales, not financial products, but just sales in general. And I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with selling things. But to your point, if what you're selling should have value enough that you can explain it. And if people get defensive about you asking how they get paid, it's probably because maybe they're not so comfortable with the value that they're selling or the value is not aligned with what you're looking for. So specifically as it relates to your savings and your hard earned money, ask mm-hmm. the question. It can be Absolutely. a hard question to ask though. Like I think for mm-hmm. a lot of people, right. It's uncomfortable. It seems like a lot of things to, to do with money is uncomfortable. So people are probably already in an uncomfortable situation and then to like turn it around and say, well, how do you get paid off of me? I think for a lot of people, it's a hard question to ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be an uncomfortable question. Absolutely. But if you can show your value and what you're going to bring and how you're going to help them achieve such and such goals, then you should be totally fine with what that number looks like because you're showing yeah. like this is the price and then this is the value that comes with that price. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree completely. We saw on your website, I think, that you work with your clients through a financial needs analysis. So can you walk us through what's included in that? Yeah, so financial needs analysis provides uh, details of the client's current financial situation, and then it provides me information and insight required to build a personalized strategy for their financial plan or financial security. So during discovery meetings, which discovery meetings are the initial meetings with the client, I identify the client's goals, needs, priorities, and gather information to assess their current financial situation. And then I identify and evaluate the appropriate financial planning strategies and kind of where there might be um, some needs or some gaps. And then from there, we develop the financial plan recommendations. So once that financial needs analysis is completed and the recommendations are understood, then next up, the most important aspect, which would be implementation and monitor. I find a lot of people can get overwhelmed at this stage or they think, okay, I have the knowledge now, like I'm good, but you need to implement the plan for it to go anywhere. I feel like I'm the queen of that. Great plans, (laughs) poor execution. So you mentioned how 
um, varied the demographics of the, the clients that you work with are. And you offer a lot of different types of services, whether that be investment planning, estate planning, retirement, et cetera. From your perspective, are any of these elements more important than others? Or are there any of these elements that everybody needs no matter what as a baseline? I wouldn't say that one element is more important than the other. Uh, different clients will require different services depending on their age and stage of life. So financial planning really should not be a one-size-fits-all or one-element-fits-all. To provide a couple examples, somebody who is in the accumulation phase of their career, their investment planning will look vastly different from someone who's in retirement. So perhaps a younger client might be able to withstand a little bit more market volatility. They might have a bit more flexibility with their TFSA purchases. Perhaps they want to hold higher risk funds that maybe incorporate like Bitcoin or socially responsible investing. And maybe another client strictly would benefit from dividend paying investments. So I think that it's really catered to every individual's circumstance and everyone's um, specific situation. As for insurance, same concept. So perhaps a new homeowner would want a term insurance policy to cover their mortgage or any debts, but maybe a family is looking for insurance that will cover any final expenses. So again, it's not really um, one element is more important or one size fits all. I find that with estate planning, it comes up more often with my retired clients or blended families, but it really is it's a very like holistic approach where you need to view the individual circumstances and then decide which aspects need to be incorporated. So I don't think that there's anything that's more important than the other. But if I had to pick one, I'd probably say just the investing side. I think that if you just stick your money in a savings account, it's, you're going to not make a ton and maybe you'll beat inflation, but maybe not. So if I had to pick one, maybe that would be the one that I would say is higher priority. Right. And then based on all the other circumstances in your financial story, going back to financial story, then it's finding which tools make sense for where you are in that phase. Yeah, absolutely. Like maybe somebody who's retired is going to be more focused on their estate plan compared to trying to qualify for a life insurance policy. Makes sense. So what would you say the most common challenges that your clients face today? The common challenge is wishing they started earlier. So I hear so often, why didn't I know this in my 20s? Or why don't they teach this in school? Why don't they? <laughs> why so don't they teach this? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Unfortunately, I've seen firsthand the challenges with this lack of planning. I had a phone call with a referral and this individual was in their retirement years and they were living paycheck to paycheck and any slight market fluctuation or increase in payment would just cause a ton of pressure on this individual. That's a conversation that I hope to have few and far between because it's definitely a challenging conversation. But again, it's just that whole, I wish I knew this sooner. Why didn't I learn this before retirement or before, you know, I bought my first house. So starting small is still starting. Even if you save 10, 20% of your take-home pay, you're still starting somewhere. So then that way you can 
mitigate some of those bigger obstacles later in life. So it's funny that you bring up that story about paycheck to paycheck because that there's a stat about women living or women are 85%. Is it more likely, Julia? Of the 43% Americans who say they live paycheck to paycheck, 85% are women. Yes. And that was like one of the most startling, terrifying things for us that we were just reading it and why we ultimately started doing these kinds of things because it seemed like just a really sad thing for if you think about all the women in your life that it's going to probably happen to some or many of them it's just really sad so as it relates to women specifically are there things that you've noticed based on your clients or just your experience in the industry that women struggle with more than men when it comes to managing their wealth so I find that with a lot of my current clients, a lot of the women are more like, I guess, at the forefront with the financial planning meetings. And I'm not sure if that is because of working with a mother-daughter financial advising team and their confidence in kind of where their financial plan is going. But I do think that generally speaking, women struggle with not knowing what questions to ask or not being comfortable asking the questions or just having the confidence to speak up. And I do think it is so important just to ask those questions. So share your concerns, be open with your financial goals and plan to get the most impact and value from your current advisor. So don't let fear of judgment creep into your financial plan. It is the advisor's professional duty to ensure you understand and align with the plan and understand their recommendations. So I would say something that women specifically struggle with, with managing their wealth is probably just feeling concern or fear of judgment with asking questions. I had a general question for you. Can anyone go get a financial planner? Like, is there a minimum assets to, that you need to have? Is there any type of barrier to going to talk to a financial advisor? That is a very good question. And I think that answer really lies with the individual financial advisor or financial planner. I know a lot of financial planners do have minimums. This could be individual minimums or family, like household minimums. So maybe there's a parents and two of their kids and they'll kind of just group them together for the minimum requirement. I don't believe banks do, but I don't, don't quote me on that. But generally, I think a lot of advisors do have minimums, which would definitely be a barrier for a lot of people, especially like the younger generations to kind of break into to get started. And it kind of reminds me of those memes that we would see that it's like somebody leaving university and the job the job listed is entry level and they need 15 years of experience. <laughs> it's like, OK, where do I start then? Like, I need to get in for sure it's, yeah, that's so, a really good analogy to compare though it's, it's true <laughs> yeah it's kind of the like like studying get in. for failure but and that's one of the reasons why with my mom and I we decided to not incorporate minimum so we will have conversations with anyone that's just interested in financial advising or investing and there's other areas that we would assess if it's a good fit, but I do really believe that people should have access to independent, honest advice. And, you know, how do you expect a 20-year-old fresh out of university to have $100,000 ready to invest? Like, I don't have that expectation on them. 
So yes, some advisors will have minimums, and that would be something that the individuals would have to find out from the advisor. But for myself personally, I do truly think that I've benefited hugely from having my mom as a financial advisor, and I would want to return that, you know, favor to somebody who's looking to kind of start start early. I think that's really that's amazing. Important. Yeah, yeah, and it's an important message too because for people who are potentially thinking about getting a financial advisor, if the first one that you reach out to you don't qualify for or potentially don't have the minimum, it doesn't mean that no one will talk to you. Mm-hmm. Right? Sometimes you just have to. But I th- again, right, that can be a kind of a hit to the confidence if you reach out and then sure. you're told, right, oh, no, like you don't meet the minimum requirement, then are you going to go look for someone else or are you going to kind of just like take that and which is, yeah. Chicken and the egg. Yeah. There's another stat that I found that I was reading actually today that I found kind of interesting on that topic. And the stat was that 70% of women that are working with financial advisors will change their financial advisor within one year after their partner, like if their partner passes away, within one year, they change the financial advisor, which just tells me that they're probably not happy with the person to begin with, right? So if you're in a partnership and, you know, the financial planner or advisor is chosen by your partner and you're not comfortable speaking to that person, then, I mean, I don't think that's fair either, right? I think it's really important to find someone that you're both comfortable with, so. And I have heard that stat before that a lot of women who, if their partner passes before them, they, within the first few years, they usually will switch advisors and they'll ask like their friends or their kids who they're using. But I think that there is clearly a disconnect between their involvement with the financial plan and their comfort level with the advisor compared to the husband's. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite sad because that's in two years from now, you're not only dealing with now being a widower and managing everything on your own, but now you have to start fresh with a new financial advisor with all the, you know, ins and outs of your specific yeah. plan. Yeah. And 70% just seems so like so high it's to so me. So high. Mm-hmm. So I was just very surprised. So when we're talking about women and everything, how does PICTA Financial aim to support women through their wealth building years? So we help women clients with all different priorities, such as saving for retirement. Maybe they're saving for their kids' education, purchasing a new home, planning for maternity or paternity leave, and just making sure that we're catering to their specific needs and providing that independent advice to instill confidence and comfort with where their finances are heading. I think too, given that it is a mother-daughter financial advising team, my mom was a single mom. So I think that there's also some relatability there for somebody who maybe is uh, starting fresh or on their own, just knowing that they have someone who's probably walked between mom and I, someone who's probably been there, done that, or can help them through whatever kind of challenges that they're facing. So definitely think that there's a benefit to having, you know, two women that you're working with if you're looking for a specific female empowerment and support with your financial plan. It's amazing. I just want to meet your mom now. Me too. <laughs> <It's pretty> lovely. <laughs> She sounds lovely. Um, 
What would be one thing that you would tell someone who may or may not have significant or any savings, but wants to start? I would say every little bit counts. Even if you can only put away $50 a month or um, $50 a paycheck, whatever it is, just start somewhere. I definitely think the TFSA or tax-free savings account is such a great investment vehicle for so many Canadians. Um, the I would also just suggest with any kind of getting started with any sort of investments is to ensure that those investments are suitable for your time horizon and your risk tolerance, that you're not getting pushed into a product that might not be a good fit for you. And it goes both ways if you go too high risk or too low risk. If you go into something too low of risk, there might be some missed opportunity for return. If you go into something too high risk, but the advisor didn't really consider that you might need that money for, you know, winter tires or um, starting a new program with university or whatever the case is, then it might be uh, the volatility might be not at the opportune time to pull that money out. So yeah, if you're starting, if you're starting early and you're just don't have a ton of significant savings, just start somewhere, just even a little bit. Goes back to people wishing they had started earlier, right? Yes. So the the longer you put it off, the the more you'll uh, be kicking yourself later. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You just got to dive in. Um, yeah. So on that note, what would be like a great first step to start? I would say just contact a financial planner and just have a conversation. Ask those questions, find out their education, their credentials, their business plan. Maybe ask them how they handle certain situations or certain scenarios that are specific to you. And make sure that you feel comfortable and confident with the advisor and what um, information that they're providing you. And as you said before, like investing in money is such a taboo subject, which is why I love that you ladies are doing this podcast. But I think that um, it's so important to not let it be a taboo subject and that you can feel safe with working with an advisor. So my best advice would just say, get on the phone, have the conversation and do the groundwork at the beginning with the goal of long-term professional relationship, because you don't want to be having these conversations every two to five years if an advisor switches roles or if like your situation changes and you're no longer, um, you know, in a certain city or with a certain partner or whatever the case is. So this is a question that we ask everyone. It's one of our favorite questions and it's right on theme today since we've talked a lot about starting early. What is one thing, if you have anything, that you wish you knew earlier about money? Mm, so I don't know. I consider myself so lucky just because of getting started at such a young age with investing, with having my mom as my financial planner. I remember getting my first job at The Gap and uh, she had encouraged me just to start putting money away every paycheck. So I was able to get a pretty good handle on investing quite early on. And my goal is just to help clients to also benefit that from that financial advice and perhaps, you know, helping their kids when their kids get their first job so that we can break that cycle of having money be a taboo conversation or entering our 20s or finishing university and having no idea what we're doing, but just having a pile of student loans. So 
being able to stop that cycle early is kind of where I want to start to fit into people's, you know, life and their as their financial planner. So I don't know if there's something that I wish I knew earlier about money, but I think something that I could pass on to the listeners is that if any of this resonated with you, or if you thought, yeah, like, why didn't they teach this in school? Or why didn't I know this in my 20s, that you can start to have those conversations with your kids so that they can learn about money earlier on so that we start teaching the younger generations what we wish we knew when we were that age. Yes. Oh my God. Joe and I talk about this all the time about just how will we teach our kids about finances earlier so that absolutely that cycle gets broken and it's not, we're not in this. The thing that I find so cool though, about the statistics about women and money is like, as much as they're, most of them are pretty depressing when it comes to like earning and investing and all kinds of stuff. The statistics about what women do with their money is so encouraging. Like women invest more in communities, women invest more in kids and education. And I feel like the more women start to have these conversations, it will start to ripple. Who doesn't love our little kiddos? A lot of times my clients will have their kids sit in on some of the meetings just so that they can start to have like, yeah, get their feet wet with those uh, conversations. And so it's not this weird, like, oh, that's financial ladies here again. We'll we'll go watch TV in the basement. (laughs) That's actually, that's such a, that's awesome. And that's awesome that you do that because yeah, I mean, talk about a great way of learning sort of basics and how it works. Well, it's also just incredible, like how much we don't know in our early 20s about like the things that cost money as an adult. Like who would have thought about home insurance and life insurance and all these other things that we now spend money on, spend tons of money on, mm-hmm. like wouldn't even have crossed my mind. At all. Yeah. And that's why when we're meeting with somebody that has a bit of a sales pitch and they can show you all the ways that this product is perfect for you because we've never had those conversations with friends or family or loved ones before. We're really starting from scratch and we're just taking their word for it. And we don't have any experience or stories to fall back on of, oh, I've heard about this. And like, this is like, this is what this person did. That's so true. Such a good point. And then because we haven't had the conversations, we end up making mistakes potentially the hard way. That's why it's so important that we're talking about these things. Well, Ashley, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Don't forget to subscribe and join us every Tuesday for a money date wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Zero Broke Girls for details on upcoming episodes, how to find our guests and more. As always, if anything you hear sparks something you'd like to talk or learn about, let us know. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Thanks for joining us. We can't wait to chat next week.